right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We've got a great panel. We're going to be highlighting a gentleman by the name of uh, John Jackson. You might have heard of him, NFL uh, professional uh, football player. But before we get into that, I want to make sure that you go out to coreofphysicaltherapy.com. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go out there. That would be your one-stop shop of all things sort of physical therapy, occupational therapy. That's coreofphysicaltherapy.com. All right, John, thank you very much for joining In Your Corner. For the listeners out there, give us a little sort of 411 on who you are. I am John Jackson. Um, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, went to Eastern Kentucky and played for the legendary coach Roy Kidd. Um, was drafted by the Steelers in 1988. Spent 10 years in Pittsburgh. Started nine years there. And went to San Diego for two years. And Cincinnati for two years. Um, went back to the Steelers for a day and retired as a Pittsburgh Steeler, which was a big deal to me. Yeah. So I've got um, – I was the 171st person to play in 200 games or more in the National Football League. And I've got 13 playoff games under my belt, one Super Bowl, uh, one second place ring, as we call it. A lot of people uh, don't understand when you lose the, um, the Super Bowl, you get an AFC championship ring or an NFC championship ring. But it's still the second place ring. So... <laughs> Yeah, but it's still an amazing accomplishment. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want you to uh, minimize it. It is an amazing accomplishment. Uh, do you like uh, Cincinnati chili? Yes, I do. I also right. like White Castles as well. <laughs> uh, I, I got uh, Dr. Rick uh, ear, earmuffs. Uh, I do too. I love uh, I love White Castles, White definitely. <laughs> All right, Brett, give us a little background on who you are and, and uh, for the listeners. Yeah, my name is Brett Kolak. I'm a regional vice president with uh, – with an operation with core of physical therapy. And um, I had the blessing of playing uh, at Eastern Kentucky. And I played with John from, uh, I was there 86 and 87 of his year and graduated in 1990. So I was able to uh, experience what it was like uh, when I met John back in 1986. He's probably the biggest human being I've ever seen in my life. And um, John may not remember this, but John and I were on in 87 um, we were on the kick return team together, which was the number one kick return team in the country with Danny mm -hmm. Copley run, Copeland running that back that actually played for the Chiefs. And when we played for the uh, Coach Kidd, um, I was fortunate. I was the only freshman that was on the kick return team. Coach Kidd usually has mostly starters that are on that team. And uh, my job was the second row, which meant when John, the ball was kicked, John would run back and John would grab my arm. And John and I were supposed to kick someone and block someone out of bounds. So there was a lot of pressure, and I was scared to death because I did not want to disappoint John Jackson. And he grabbed my arm, and we have, we hit so many people out of bounds that I can't even tell you. Um, but it, it set the path for um, what Eastern Kentucky was like and playing football with one of the best ever. 
So I, I still remember those days, John. Well, I have to. Uh, I still remember those too. I was on. I was on every special teams. Well, I have to. I have to dovetail not. with that story. Uh, there's a there's a uh, pro football stat. It, it's out on the World Wide Web. There, John. As a rookie, you averaged ten yards per uh, kick return. One time. <laughs> That's your average. <laughs> and, that, and that was the first and last time I ever did that. I picked <laughs> the ball up and ran and got blasted. And I was like, but you got I'm never going to do that again. That. You, you, were, you were 10 yards down the went down the field, man. Were you juking? Dude, there was, there was nobody around me. There was nobody around me. <laughs> <laughs> but after I got that 10 yards, they, they caught me. <laughs> That's great good. stat, but that's great. You went deep for that. One. Well, I did. I yeah, it's the only one out there. And I'm like, oh, check that out. One return, yeah. 10 yards. He averages 10 yards per return. All right. And I can tell you what I can tell you what game that was. That was Buffalo played against the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> wow. It's memorable. Huh? All right, Dr. Rick. Yeah, you're up, man. They're all warmed up. Make it happen. Oh. My name is Dr. Rick Lehman from the 314 St. Louis, and, and John and Brett, I really want to thank you guys. Before we get into kind of specifics, John, tell us about your wrestling career. We talked about your football career, but, you know, let's, let's step it back just a minute and tell us about your wrestling career. Well, my wrestling career was in high school, and believe it or not, I weighed, what did I weigh? I weighed 213 my junior year and made um, – all conference high school, and then I was third in um, the sectionals. Went to the districts and got blown away because I was just too small. Um, then my senior year, I was two thirty-one, and I won the um, the high school my high school conference, and I um, won the sectionals. But still, I went to um, the uh, districts and got blown away. I was just too small. I mean, those guys were three hundred plus. That's before they had a weight limit on heavyweights. But I contribute a, a lot to my success through uh, wrestling because of the technique and just understanding about leverage and understanding about working hard because you get, wrestlers, to me, are the best athletes in the world. I mean, those guys work their tails off. And, and that kind of segues into my, my, what was going to be my next question. Um, kind of tell us about that. I mean, I'm a sports orthopedic surgeon. Uh, as Brett will tell you, most of my, a lot of my practice professional athletes, high-level athletes. And, you know, when we see wrestlers, wrestlers, they always amaze me. I mean, they dislocate their shoulders. They keep wrestling. Tell us, tell us how that prepared you to play college football and then obviously uh, step into the NFL. Right. I mean, it prepared me in, in a number of ways. And I think the first way, um, I understood what hard work meant. And I was not afraid to work because I was never going to let anybody outwork me. And... I learned that from wrestling, but also learned that um, you're going to lose. And it's not about if you lose, it's about if you lose the battle. And that's the big thing that I got from wrestling was, you know, you're going to lose a point here, a point there, but, you know, just win the match. And I figured with um, 10 more people with me, I got a better chance of, of winning a war. So that's why I went to play football. And, and so – Tell us about the Steelers when you played. Tell us about the coaching. Who, who was your coach? Mm -hmm. Who was the hey, line coach? Hey, and, and be, before you get there, I just want to tell you, but John, is it true that you only played two years of high school football before you went to college? 
Did no, it's only only played one year high school football. I played twelve games. Is that, and, and no, I didn't play twelve games. I played twelve weeks. So the day and age of everyone playing when they're younger and years and years of playing football before they get to college and all these passing camps, training camps, seven on sevens. I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about what that part. That's amazing to me. Right. No, it's it's not. I mean, I talk to a lot of um, young guys, especially um, parents, and I always tell them don't start your kids early if they don't want to they don't want to play if they want to play then let them play but understand that you know they can wait in their, their latter part of their um, career and start and I was fortunate that when I went out for um, football and this is a true story the guy that um, I was backing up went on vacation for two weeks <laughs> right he comes back and the coach tells him like you're not gonna you're not gonna get your job back and he's looking at him like Coach, I was a starter before I left. He goes, he's a starter now. You're not getting your job back. And that year we went um, five and five and four. And the, the biggest thing I learned about that was I love playing football because I get to hit people. And, you know, it, it was it was a, a great opportunity for me to, to go to that next level. And Coach Kidd was actually the first school to ever recruit me. I had over 42 scholarship offers, and it was just – it was wild. It was wild. Thank you. Go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry, Rick. No, I think that was a good question. So, John, so so kind of kind of dial us back. You know, what were the Pittsburgh Steelers like when you were playing? We know what Eastern Kentucky was like. You had Greg Kolnick and the rest of the great athletes there. What what was – um. Who, who, who were the coaches? Who were your teammates, notable teammates? Right. Kind of tell us what it was like. Kevin Green, tell us what it was like. Well, when I first got to Pittsburgh, um, I was with um, Chuck Knoll. And I was actually in um, the Chiefs' last draft class. That was Erie Dye in 88. And I got a, a great opportunity to have dinner with him. And who the Chief is, he's the original owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we got to, to meet with him and, and talk to him. And it was just an honor being in his presence. And then I got to um, be coached by Chuck Knoll. Um, offensive line coach, his name is um, Ron Blackledge, who's Todd Blackledge's dad, nice. who went to Penn State. Um, coach Blackledge, I know I, I've got at least half of that gray hair in his head. And I, <laughs> I've told him that because he would yell at me so much that he shortened my name to Jack. <laughs> and it was just one of those things. I, I just kept getting better and better. And I, I believed in him. He believed in me. And um, to this day, you know, I'll give him a lot of credit for giving me um, an opportunity to play in the National Football League. And then I played four years for um, Coach Noel, and I played six years for Bill Cowher. My offensive line coach was uh, Ken Stevens. And Kent just let me be me. Um, you know, be a professional, understand that, you know, I've got to get be prepared week in and week out. And he didn't really bother me. He just, you know, tried to stay out of my way. And I had a, um, a pop, I've got a podcast with him. And I asked him, I said, how come you, you never really said anything to me? Because he said, well, I didn't have to say anything to you because you were so, I was so hard on myself critically that, you know, he was afraid that I was going to go in the tank. <laughs> so, he was like, just play, John. That's all you got to do is just play. You're athletic enough, just go play. Um, when I first got to Pittsburgh, 
that was when, you know, you know, you got Chuck Noll, who's won four Super Bowls. He's had the uh, steel curtain. He's had some legendary players. And we stayed in training camp a month and literally beat the dog crap out of each other for a month. So I grew up real fast. Um, coming from Eastern, we hit a little bit. But if you were a Steeler and you got the training camp, you became a real man real fast. So I had that opportunity to play for a legendary coach and another legendary coach and um, Bill Cower. Coach Cower couldn't believe how hard we would uh, practice. Literally wanted to take all the pads off, but we were still hitting each other. And he would just go nuts. So, but had opportunity for um, to play for 10 years in Pittsburgh. And like I said, I went to one Super Bowl, played in – 13 playoff games, and my first playoff game was down in Houston with Chuck Noll. We won in double. We won in overtime, um, and beat um, who Oilers. It was unbelievable. You always remember your first uh, playoff game and your last playoff game. And my last playoff game was with um, Bill Cower, who played the Denver Broncos. That was my last game in, in Three Rivers. And, and, and who who are some of your notable teammates defensively? Offensively, um, that you played with, and and give us a little insight to what it was like at that time. Um, played with um, Rod Woodson. Rod Woodson was a um, a phenomenal athlete, um, world class speed. I yep. mean, he could do pretty much everything back there. Um, played with um, Greg Lloyd. Um, played with um, Damani Dawson, who actually we we came in the same year together. Um, Damani's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the first center I ever saw pull. Literally snapped the ball. And I know one thing. When I knew dirt was coming, I made sure I got out of the way. Because <laughs> he hit everything that was in sight. So, him, um, I'm trying to think who else. Corner Lake, um, Chad Brown, um, LeVon Kirkland. These are linebackers. And the only reason I mention those guys because I used to hit them a lot. <laughs> and and Kevin Green. Um, yeah. I played with um, Eric Green, who was a big tight end. Eric yeah. Green was I remember. he was out of Liberty and he weighed, he was 6'5. He probably could run a 4'7. And he weighed about 265 to catch everything, but he could block. I saw him pick up Lawrence Taylor once and throw him on the ground. Like he was a, like was a rag doll. And I'm wow. thinking, I said, and I told him, I said, listen, don't get him pissed off because you're going off the field in a minute. I got to block him. <laughs> don't piss him off. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of, you know, great teammates and still um, I'm in touch with him today. And I also played with um, Kevin Green, who unfortunately passed away. Um, great teammates. Um, and we just, you know, I think our camaraderie, and just the way we went about the game, that's what made um, us that much better because we pushed each other uh, to the limits, especially being in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, was to me, was like Eastern. They didn't accept losing. I mean, if you're losing in Pittsburgh, those fans, they came and filled the stadium up and told us how bad we were. <laughs> and I'll never forget, they, uh, they didn't introduce the offense or the defense. They were introduced to special teams. 
and they were getting booed. And the special team guys didn't want to go out there because they didn't want to get booed. <laughs> yeah. So imagine that. And I'm thinking, thank God I'm not on that special team. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And what were the so training regimens? Tell us about, you know, give us a day in, in, in Pittsburgh Steeler training camp and what, what, what were your training regimens? And then talk about the season training regimens a little bit. Well, I mean, back when, when I first started, we, like I said, we stayed there for a month and it was literally um, two days. We did two days for two weeks. And I tell those the younger guys now, he goes, you, were, you guys did training camp two days for two weeks? Like, yeah, two days. I mean, in the morning, we had a morning practice was hard. Afternoon practice was really brutal. Um, when I was with Chuck Noll, if you were injured, you never stayed in training camp. They put you in a help. They put you in the, the health because he didn't want the injured guys infecting the, the healthy guys. It's like George Patton. Yeah. Oh, he was he was serious, and he made sure you checked into the Hilton. And I would ask guys. <laughs> I know one time there was a guy and I can't remember his name. He was gone for like three days. I go, dude, where you been? He goes, I've been in the Hilton. I was like, oh, you're hurt. It's <laughs> like, yeah, that's where you go. You don't hang around the guys. Like, um, we would, um, you know, we would go get a beer every now and then after uh, a meeting. And I didn't see the guy. The guy he had to go to um, check in the hill. But it was it was so intense that um, I always describe this to people, and I, I can't really um, describe it the way it was because people wouldn't believe me. It was though we were beating the crap out of each other. And I saw more guys, especially with uh, Chuck Knoll, um, throughout the season. I saw more guys get hurt on Friday's practice than I saw people get hurt in the games. And, and we only practiced. Go ahead. And we only practiced for four hours. <laughs> we came in. Most teams got out at 12. We went in at 12. It was 12 to 4 on Fridays. <laughs> and like I said, most guys, if you could make through uh, Friday's practice, the game was nothing. <laughs> the game was nothing. Were you in full yeah. pads on Fridays? Yeah. Oh, we were, we were short yards and goal line was locked. Wow. Yeah. What about during the season? Was during the season between weeks, was that a little more um, not as intense or is that pretty intense too? It was pretty intense too. I mean, not just like that, I mean, um, the short yard and goal line live, that was during the season. Wow. That was every Friday. Um, we practiced outdoors in the snow. I practiced in a couple blizzards. <laughs> and Chuck was like, well, you got to play in this, so you might as well practice in this. And that was his philosophy. So we did what we had to do. Um, we even practiced underneath Pitt, the old Pitt Stadium because it was too much snow and we wanted to go practice somewhere. And we've practiced in a lot of weird places, even at um, the Pittsburgh Convention Center. Since we were playing um, the Oilers, we figured, put some turf down, and it was just like um, playing in Houston. The turf was terrible. So that's what we practiced. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, I've got so many stories. We might be here um, for a couple <laughs> of days if I tell all the stories. Hey, how's that change? John, well, I was curious because I know how we were at Eastern and what we trained that little Jack Ison room and that little box and the, 
you know, just barbells. That's all we did. Three sets of six. Well, when the weights, and, the weights were sweating. Remember that? The weights right. were sweating. Absolutely. The walls were sweating. You have to run around the Coliseum, inside the <laughs> alumni Coliseum, the, the, the area. How was that compared to your first year with the Steelers and their training? I mean, it was almost so like it was almost like being at Easter because um, in Free Room Stadium, um, the Steelers' weight room was smaller than the weight room at Eastern. It was a boiler room. It literally had a boiler in the room. That's crazy. That's, that's no, I'm not kidding. It that's was a big boiler room, and that's where the Steelers um, we did all our weightlifting. It was it was some pretty intense weightlifting going on in there, and then they expanded it um, like two years into my career. And we were like, wow, they got, they got a bigger weight room. And then we kind of felt bad because, you know, people were on the other side of the room and they weren't as close to us. They were like, you know, guys, why don't you just come over here and talk to us? So, but that's how you became um, closer to your teammates. The harder you worked out, especially in those weight rooms. <laughs> and, and, and compare that to today. I mean, what, what, what's changed? What's it like 2020 compared to – you know, when, when you first came up, came in to the league and, and what happened within your 10 years? Was it pretty much consistent with your 10 to 16 years in the league? Pittsburgh, going to Cincy, going to San Diego? Yeah, not really because um, San Diego, when I went to San Diego, they had a, a great uh, facility, great workout room. Um, these guys had um, um, jacuzzis. They had an ice tub that 15 guys could fit in. You know, Pittsburgh, we were lucky enough we got a, a trash can that we could stick our feet in it. <laughs> so it was kind of like old school, but they've kind of modern their, um, modernized their facilities. They're great now. I mean, now I call it a country club. It's not, um, it's not what it used to be, um, but it's just totally different. I mean, every organization has really stepped up their game. Um, Cincinnati, for example, I remember um, running on a, a water treadmill. And I was like, this is crazy. And just running for like um, 30 minutes for rehab. So they didn't have that in Pittsburgh when I was there, but I'm pretty sure they got it now. But the to I mean, it's, to it's totally changed as far as it's gotten so much better. It's on another level. I mean, these guys get treated like um, – Feel like kings. So, so if I if I came to you and I started whining because it's a little tough and I'm a I'm a current football player, is that going to fall on deaf ears with you? Because I mean, this is incredible. Yeah, I, I, I would I would give him a um, a real come to Jesus moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like dude, you have no clue. You have no what, idea. No idea. John, isn't it now there's only a certain amount of hours they can practice a week? Isn't there like a time limit now with them or how many days they can practice? It's different than back when you played. Yeah, because when we when we um back when I was playing um with the Steelers in my earlier years, there there was no time limit. Um clearly. And we would hit all the time. So there's I mean things have changed for the good, but also things things have changed for the um the worst as well because they don't really get enough training camp time. And that's why you see a lot of guys get dinged up in um, preseason games uh, because their bodies aren't used to that, that hitting. They don't hit that much in, in training camp. But then when they go on the field in preseason games, they, they get hurt. A lot of them tend to get hurt. Well, that's exactly right. And, that's that's, and, and injury rates have certainly gone up since 
pretty much consistently every year. Now, some of that's the guys are bigger, guys are faster, the hits are a little bit harder. But um, there's no doubt that that uh, we're seeing a lot more early season injuries than we've ever seen. And, and in terms of the training regimen, you think the training's changed? Do you think it's gotten softer? Or, you know, you take your typical lineman, D-tackle, whatever, do, do these guys train like you train? Or, or has, or has uh, just progress, uh, digitalization, et cetera, made all that different than it was? I mean, between me and you, I, I think they, they, they baby them. Um, there was no babying when I came in the league and um, prior to me leaving. But now they have to really watch, um, like, the starters. And it's, it's sort of sad because football is a physical game. And everybody knows that going in. And you're going to have injuries. And God forbid you get hurt. But, you, but you're going to have nagging injuries. And I played with a, a few nagging injuries, like back, knees, and you got to play through them. And that's sort of like the mentality um, that shows your toughness, that you can endure pain and you can persevere through a lot of different things. But it, your teammates are counting on you, so you got to step up. You know, I think that's a probably not a bad lesson in life either. Um, what was the culture like for, for PEDs? I mean, were, were they prevalent? Like I talked to guys, old baseball players, the Lou Brocks, the Bob Gibsons of the world. And, you know, they, they might do some Sudafed or, you know, some, some uppers, but certainly nothing like we saw later uh, down the line, you know, with the Barry Bond situation, et cetera. Right. Um, tell, tell us about the culture when you played and, and how do you think that's changed, if, if you're comfortable talking about it? No, I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I mean, I think when, when I got in, in 88, um, the big thing, um, in the National Football League was um, stopping people from using steroids. And then they came up with, the NFL came up with uh, the first steroid um, testing out of all the sports. And they were pretty strict on that. And they're still strict on that. And I think if you look at all the, um, the sports, the NFL's probably the leader in drug testing for anything. And that's one thing they don't play. Because um, before you would, it would just be a random deal where you show up and there'd be a guy waiting there by your locker saying, hey, it's your, it's your day to piss. Now they call you up. They don't even – they call you up now, like the day before. It's like, listen, it's your time. So they want, they want you to be there a little early so you can um, give your, your urine sample and do what you got to do. But they also test people – they can test people up to two or three times in the offseason. And I remember one time I played for Cincinnati – and I was in California, and, and my name came up. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, John, I need, I need your sample. I was like, just wait right here. <laughs> we went and got a sample for him, and he left. And then I had a house when I was playing with um, – that happened twice. Actually, with, when I was playing with Pittsburgh, um, they wanted – I had a house down in Florida, and i never forget that the guy rings the uh, – I was living in a gated neighborhood and I pick up the phone and I go, hello. And he goes, um, such and such with the, um, uh, the NFL drug testing program. I need a sample. And I said, dude, where are you? He said, I'm at your front gate. I said, well, come on in. So I, I, I let him in and he's like, well, can you give me a sample? 
I said, not right now. I said, you, you, if you'd have caught me five minutes ago, you would have had all you want. <laughs> but he said, I'll tell you what, John, I, I got some more guys to go to in your neighborhood. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. And I didn't notice um, Florida probably has about 1,500 guys at a National Football League living in Florida in the offseason. Wow. Wow. So I was talking to the guy. I said, dude, I said, and he's the one who told me this um, stat. I said, your car has got to be like um, really hollering some mileage, doesn't it? He goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I, I change out every probably two years. Change my Kirby two years because the mileage just goes crazy. That's so. amazing. You know, the, the, the days of random drug testing have just gotten worse. I do a lot at the Olympics, and you know, you hear you hear some of these athletes get called at three thirty in the morning. You know, hey, we need a sample, we need a drug sample, blah, blah, blah. And now they walk in the bathroom and the woman does the women and the men do the men and, and they actually watch you urinate. So it's. Oh, yeah, they watch you. I mean, they watch you pull it out and, and, and pee right in the cup. So it's like the day I tell people it's it's real. It's real. <laughs> and, and they tell you, don't don't turn around. Like just pee in a cup. Like, OK. <laughs> I, got, I got no problem. I got no problem with it. I'm like, dude. They're not going to find me because they're not going to find anything in me. So <laughs> I'll give you the sample. But I just don't understand these young guys. You've got so much to lose and you put your career, but you put your reputation in jeopardy over something really stupid that if you want to do drugs, do drugs after you get done. You can do drugs all you want. Nobody's going to test you. <laughs> Nobody's going to test you. But you, you know the protocol. You know all the protocol. So don't do it. Just don't do it. No, I think that's really good advice. And, and, and I think that, you know, people have people don't really understand how brutal the NFL is. I mean, in, in all the years, I've been doing this 35 years and I've seen innumerable NFL guys that we've taken care of. And, and I, I just think the people just don't realize how, how violent the sport is. And, and I think it was equally as violent. You know, it's the Steelers, Oakland Raiders, these guys were just legendary. Oh. So you played in an era that was really, as you said, was pretty intense. And uh, I, I, I just think that the NFL was ahead of their time. I mean, he, Olympic Committee, the NFL, Major League Baseball came way after, you know, all of a sudden trying to clean it up. And, and it was kind of too late. Yeah. And just, just like basketball. I mean, basketball, you should let those guys smoke marijuana all the time. Right. And, and, and now, now they want to say they can't smoke marijuana, but you told them they could. So how you how you go back that up and say that, yo you can't smoke marijuana now? It doesn't work, right? No. It doesn't work. And, and 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 there's a real question. You know, we we're in, we we're in the middle of this um, Shakari Richardson situation, and again, you know, uh, this is my personal opinion. I, I just don't see how marijuana for an NBA basketball player or track athlete or NFL football player. I mean, certainly it's not performance enhancing. Maybe it mellows you out a little bit. Maybe it helps the pain a little bit. And I, I just don't see why it can be legal. But in pro sports, you can't smoke it. But that's just, right. again, my personal my personal opinion. No, I, I totally agree with you on that. But it's it's the rules. That's the rules. That's right. And those are the rules. And I, I see what you know. your point is as far as um, it, it's, marijuana is really not going to enhance anything. But you, if you set some rules up, you got to buy a bomb. And that goes for everybody. And it just it just shows those young kids that, you know, somebody's above the rules. And I think she took it well. 
I mean, the leopard girl who, who um, smoked some wheat. I mean, she was already fast enough. You wasn't going to catch her. And, and the wheat was not going to make her any faster. And that's, right. it was a shame that, you know, she learned a, a valuable lesson that, you know, rules apply to her. Right. And, and when you talk to, you know, the legendary track athletes, Jackie Joyner, Cursor, Cursey, et cetera, they're all St. Louis kids. Um, they say the exact same thing. She knew as soon as she smoked it, she was going to get busted and get, to, she only got suspended for a month, which took her out of the Olympics. Normally a positive drug test gets you two years. So if, I think, I think that the USOC was pretty sympathetic to be honest, but I mm-hmm. also think she knew as soon as she did it, she was, she was going to get banned and she did. I mean, it was, it was a valuable lesson to learn and I, and I hope she learns from this experience, but I hope she tells other young kids that are coming up, like, this is what's going to happen. You know, I lost a great opportunity to go to Olympics, to represent the United States, but also to win a medal. She would have, I think she would have um, yeah. came back with a couple medals. No doubt. Oh, yeah. She, she's, uh, I, I actually know her fairly. She, she's pretty special. She's awesome. So, so we've got all these listeners out there and they've got kids. So, so what do you give, give us, give us your, your two cents on what you can tell parents and what you can tell Brett Kolnick about parenting an athlete, a soccer player, a football player, as somebody who's kind of been through the whole system. All right. My whole thing is just let them play. When they're that young, you, you don't force kids. I've seen parents who are living through their kids. You, you can't do that. You got to let kids go out there and enjoy the game because if not, they're going to get burnt out by high school. And then they're never going to want to play that sport again. So you let them go out there and enjoy the moment but you tell them that there's valuable lessons that you can learn from being um, a team player in sports. And that's what I always uh, preach to my kids. It's like, listen, you're, you're really not out there to go to the next level, but you're here playing on this team. So be a teammate. Um, they're counting on you. So make a play and have fun. And it's all about at that level, it's about having fun. And then when you go higher up, you know, it, it gets a little more intense, especially on, on the pro level. I mean, that's your job. And I used to tell people, football was, was not a game anymore. It was a job. Um, I got paid for it. I got paid very well. And I had to show up on time. And they would find me for being late. And they would find you for doing stupid stuff. And when I say stupid stuff, I'm, th- I'm not talking about um, any drugs. I mean, if we missed a block, then we got fined. <laughs> if, if we missed of course. an assignment, yeah. And all that money went to the offensive lawn party at the end of the year. So, but you didn't want to pay all that money. <laughs> you didn't want to come out and say, and we want to thank John for sponsoring yeah, we want this to John party. For, uh, all this, um, <laughs> these, these party favorites. <laughs> right. As he drives up in a Yugo because he can't make a payment on a regular car. <laughs> right. So the goal, the goal is to have the worst party at the end of the year. <laughs> no, the goal the goal is to have a, a great party at the end of the year, but you don't want to be the person paying for it. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> wow. John, hey John, tell us of some of the best running backs you um you got to block block for at all the teams you were at. And what made well, them I got, Yeah, I mean I got to block for um um Barry Foster, great running back. Um got the block for Jerome Bettis, um awesome running back. He didn't need blocking. Um, yes, he did. You all, you always need blocking, and, and, and then you find out um, you're not as good when you don't have the blocking. <laughs> so, but if you talk to Jerome, he, he understood that you, you got to have a good offensive line. 
Yeah. Um, also a block for um, Corey Dillon. And Corey Dillon, to me, um, oh, wow. was, yeah, was remember- unsung. I mean, yeah. he was on the Steeler team. Um, when we were playing, when we played Cincinnati, we would have won at least four Super Bowls. Wow. With Corey Dillon. He was, he was, he was, he was amazing. Yeah. He was a beast. I yeah. mean, my first start in Cincinnati was when he had the 278 yards. Oh. Yeah. And on that last play, I pulled my hamstring. And it looked like somebody had, like, shot me in the butt. No, but I'm, I'm pulling, I'm, like, grabbing on my uh, hamstring. Um, but he, he, he told me, he taught me one thing about um, being a true professional that he was. Most running backs go into training camp and they, they try to get in shape. Corey would come into training camp in shape. And he would literally just be grinded in training camp. And it was just unbelievable to see him work like that. And especially some of the teams that Cincinnati had. I mean, we knew that, you know, Corey Dillon was special. I mean, the guy got a thousand yards every year of his career in Cincinnati with no offensive line. Yeah. So imagine if he had a good offensive line, he could have had 2,000. Wow. Hey, John, a question I have with you. Did you, um, people on defense that you went against, so you were the left tackle, so you were going against mostly uh, outside linebackers, defensive ends that were coming at you, were blitzing. Or yeah, I was going. Up. I was going against the um, um, probably the best, like Bruce Smith, um, Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, um, <laughs> I could, <laughs> I could, I could give you a. Um, I put it like this: in, in one month, I had four Pro Bowlers in four weeks, <laughs> and I shut them down. There you go. That's 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 good. And you, and you know why I know that? Because it's on the back of a football card too. <laughs> <laughs> And one thing I know about you, John, you weren't one that would try to cut somebody. You'd hit him straight on. No, I, I want to I I hit you in the mouth because then I'm going to do it again. <laughs> yeah. My question, my question is, did you have more competition on the other teams or on your own team? Because you had some great uh, – between Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green, yeah. you had some talent. No, we had, we had more competition in practice than in games. I mean, like I said, um, practice to us was always getting better. And then when we got to the game – it was just, you know what, do what you do in practice. I mean, we had Chad Brown, um, right. Jason Gilden, um, Kevin Green, and those guys, they would bring, they would bring the heat every, every practice. Because they had to bring the heat or uh, the coach would yell at them and say, no, they, you, bring you, the heat. you know why they brought the heat? Because we would just maul, we would just beat the crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. See, that's my image of uh, the NFL when I was growing up. It, it was a man's sport. And right. I mean, it, and, and that's my image of just tough, being tough. Mm-hmm. And, uh. No, it's, I mean, part of my language. But when, when I first got there, um, I never forget what a guy told me. He goes, I'm going to tell you something. And I go, what's that? He goes, this is a grown-ass man's sport. And I'm looking at him like, oh, boy. <laughs> what am I thinking? I better grow. I better grow up real fast. <laughs> and when I came to the league, I was six five. I weighed two eighty five. Right. Right now, I'm six five. I weigh two ninety. Wow, that's impressive. Wow. Yeah. And what's and what was your what's your body your body fat's minimal too, John, isn't it? Huh? You're in pretty good shape. You're still in pretty good shape. Oh, I'm not. I'm not nearly in shape. I mean, I probably got 
25% body fat. <laughs> what about played? You just left Morton's. <laughs> I, just, I did. I just left Morton's. You just left and Morton's. I, I guarantee I got 22% body fat. <laughs> no, but when I came in the league, I had 5% body fat. When I left <laughs> the league, I had 17. Yeah. 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 Not many offensive linemen look like that now. No, no, they don't. Yeah. You know what? You know why I look like that? Because I like wearing clothes. And to me, being a, as far as my stature, you, you don't look good in clothes when you're that big. You got to slim down a little bit. So that's just me. What was the key, John? You said you didn't get injured much at all. Just staying in shape. I was fortunate, you know, I was fortunate not to get injured, but I had some. Um, I had two serious injuries. Um, I actually got paralyzed. Um, I had a concussion to the spine um, in a Buffalo Bill game here in Pittsburgh. Um, it was the paralysis was temporary. And during the offseason and every since then, I really worked on my back and my legs. So it would never happen again. But then I had uh, my knee scoped in 95. And that really... Um, Took me down for a while. I missed five games. Came back and struggled a little bit, but we made the Super Bowl. But those were probably two of the most um, serious injuries that I had out of 14 years. Besides pulling my hamstring, I didn't think that was that serious because I wasn't starting. Did you have to stay at the Hilton? No. This was <laughs> when I was with Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I have a, a just, uh, just sort of another question. When you decided that you wanted to play football in high school, like what was that thought process? It's like, hey, I'm wrestling. I'm having a good time. And it's uh, I'm a senior. I'm gonna, I might as well play football. I, I, well, I, I give myself two choices. It was either um, go to college or go to the Marines. So my dad was a Marine, and I'd always wanted to be a Marine. So – I said, you know what, let me go out my senior year, and if something happens, it happens. If not, I'm going to, going to the Marines. And luckily something happened, and I got better mm-hmm. each week. And hence, so I ended up playing football for 20 years. That's just <laughs> history. That's interesting. Well, I like that. All right, That's awesome. Had- yeah, it, it, I'm telling you, I'm digging this conversation, and it brings back great memories. And I'm as as you were talking, John, I'm you know I'm on the World Wide Web pulling up. Uh, it's like Corey right there. I just like, oh yeah, I remember Corey. Oh, he played for the Patriots too. There, yeah, he got a oh, ring. He got a ring there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he got a ring. yeah, yeah. Not a second place ring. Not no, not. A se- I, I appreciate that. I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> hey, well, you need to go ahead and eat your hamburger on, on the air now. Yeah, that's right. Hey, thank you, Dr. Rick, man. Ah, here it is. White Castles, baby. No, White Castles are not good until they're after after midnight. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're right on the money. So anyway, yeah, I'm pulling up. Uh, I was wondering if uh, you played with uh, Earl Campbell, right? But he was before your time. No, he was a little bit before my time. Yeah, that's just like, always, I always get these. I always get these uh, people who like, you know, how was it playing with the uh, with Joe Green and those guys? I've never played with Joe Green, but <laughs> he was a coach. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that old. Yeah, and that's what I tell people. I'm, I might look that old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> so he um, actually, Joe Green was a, a big mentor of mine. Wow. And what Joe would do, 
was um, when I would get dressed and I, we always taped our pads and Joe would tell me like, listen, come in my office. And I would sit in Joe Green's office and he would go through the week's practice with me. And some of the things I, I did um, poorly, but some of the things I did um, good. And I'll never forget, he always would have a little saying, it's like, listen, I can always respect a man who gets beat, but I can never respect a man who quits. And when Joe Green tells you that, you listen. You do, man. You you sit straight up on that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Wow. See, I, I, I just, uh, from my perspective and, and my love of the foot, uh, football, the, what you're talking about, the, the, the legends of, of uh, at Pittsburgh and, and, and it, it, you, you embodied that, that culture, you could always tell that there was just something different about Pittsburgh, the way they practiced, the way they looked, the way they just behaved. Right. And just, it, it just was a, it was an interesting time. Gosh, that is cool. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing with the fans, I mean, you got yeah. workers <laughs> and you know, they, they love their football, but they love their sports. I mean, you've got the, um, the Pirates back then. They were winning as well. And you got the Penguins who've won five Stanley Cups. And it's just about, you know, being a part of a team. Yeah. And that's the, that's the big thing in Pittsburgh, being a part of the team. Um, I can always remember when, when I would go places in Pittsburgh, nobody really knew who I was because I always wore a dark shield over my eyes. And most of the time, nobody knew how tall I was because I was always sitting on a bench. I never stood up. I always go sit on the bench. So, and people would marvel at, like, I had no idea you were that big. And I'm like, well, all the rest of the guys are that big, too. Yeah. I just look <laughs> like I'm normal. And throw out a 5'7 guy out there. I mean, just, that was well, that's good. how it was. You know, that's how I felt at, at Eastern. Um, I always felt like I stood out because I was the tallest guy, right? And everybody's like this. <laughs> and I never forget the first day I get in a huddle and I'm like, wow, everybody's the same height. This, <laughs> this is, this is a, this is a good thing. <laughs> oh, wow. What an incredible. Well, anything else here, uh, Dr. Rick on this particular conversation? No, this this, go this on has been on. on John. This has been, uh, it's been special and we really appreciate it. You taking your time and breath setting it up. So, um, you know, this, We've had some great, great guests, but uh, this has been tremendous. Thank you. God, it's uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and good luck with the podcast. Um, I appreciate the podcast going back up and running as well. Yeah, get it up and running, man. That'd be great. Even I'll, I'll uh, subscribe to it. If you're on it, you're talking about well, you good can still old subscribe days. to it. You can What's still that? subscribe to it. I've got 25 episodes. I've got 2,500 there, John. <clears throat> there you here. go. There you yeah. go. Is that include hamburgers too? <laughs> oh, there, uh, during COVID nineteen, hey, I went right past nineteen and on. I went right past nineteen and on into twenty five, baby. I discovered, I discovered barbecue chips and ham sandwiches. Really? Oh, they were delicious. <laughs> uh, stay away from the bread; you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah amen to that. Yeah, that's right. All right, John, thank you very much. And all right, uh, listeners, thank you for joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We're going to have another great interview shortly.